Oh, let's edit this out. I'm saying a lot of that. <laughs> Connor, just leave all these Connor, in so people leave can them see. all in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So people can see, oh, they're actually working through imposter syndrome on the podcast that they're talking about imposter syndrome. Yeah. This is so meta. Not everyone has an editor. So this might be <laughs> yeah, the easiest right. show for Connor yeah. just to sit back yeah, and go. That's right. I'm not touching Oh, I'm just going to let this whole thing happen. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about how Jake admits he is a big fraud. (laughs) I'm not sure I said it exactly. Well, that way. you said something like that. You said I, I'm an imposter. I shouldn't be up here. Everybody knows it. You you even knew it. Yeah. Okay. Now you're right. I'm a fraud. And everybody listening might feel the same way. So we're gonna work through this. What does it mean to feel like an imposter? What can you do about it? And is it equally felt by everybody? I, I've got a confession. Maybe five years in the making. Um, should we just should we just tell you? Maybe you can help me work it out. Uh, okay, if you don't mind, there's a few people who are going to listen in. So, um, but I'm all ears. Well, and hopefully those people tell other people and share and get other people to subscribe. And anyway, okay. So here's I see the here it is. Yep. Yeah. See, yeah here we go. See, see what five years, there? five year confession. I went to a coffee shop, a coffee shop I visit fairly regularly, and uh, the first time. They take my name to write it on the cup and make my sandwich. And we're just chit-chatting and it seems fine. I get the cup. I will look at the cup as I walk away. I didn't really hear them call my name. And right. it said, Zach. Zach. Okay. Zach. Okay, cool. You could be a Zach. Yeah. I could be a Zach. So the next day, don't they remember me? And they don't ask me my name. And they write Zach and they interact. <laughs> and now five years in, I, I don't know how to correct this. <laughs> so, so I have gone deep in, in this now. Oh no! I've taken people there and said in line. So weird things about to happen. They're going to call me Zach. I just, just go with it. Did- just, just go with it. And you know oh, why? Man, the the, the person who uh, I interact with, um, mm-hmm. she really leans in and commits. So she has now introduced me to other coworkers as Zach. Oh no! She says, "Oh, he's busy. Let's make sure he gets in and out today. Here's his order." And there's this friendly okay. vibe, and the, the banter has existed for many years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to this place where I'm like, I don't want to embarrass her at all. Right. Of course. Right. So I'm stuck. But that's not my name. I feel like a fraud. <laughs> uh, can you help? What do you suggest? Oh, me? Well, I don't know. Yeah, Is that a- uh, you need to go to the driver's license bureau. <laughs> right away. Name. Just change Right it. away. Just go legally change your name. It is not worth it. It is easier for you to share on social media. I am now going to identify as Zach. Then yeah. go to that poor barista and say, uh, I... Well, I have wait. lied. I, I, I so have I, lied. I, I have let. I, I oh, wait, and you didn't even lie. You just let them go with a misunderstanding so long 
that they believe it's absolutely 100% the truth. But here, here's, here's the problem with it. Okay. Um, they know a few things about me that are true. That is true. Okay. Right? So yeah, kind of knows the work I do. We have conversations um, over the years has picked up enough about me that I'm like, well, it's not all a lie. Oh man. Just, yeah. just my the name. name. Yep. Everything else has been true. Yep. And I feel like a complete fraud every time I go in and now I make other people complicit, but it's not the only time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the only time I felt like that. And I wanted to sort of raise that. And I was doing a workshop last week in front of, I don't know, 50, 60 people, a three-day training session. And what was the topic? Uh, it was about restorative justice. Yeah. Okay. And we were, yeah. we were kind of leading, but do you ever have this moment? I know you do a lot of public speaking as well, yeah. where mm -hmm. you're kind of talking, you can see the room, but I also kind of saw myself in the back of the room looking mm. at Right. And I'm like, had this weird yeah. moment where yeah. I, I start heckling myself in yeah. my head, like, shut up. You, who are you to be doing this? Oh, who no. are you? You feel like, and everything, I'm trying to stay focused and I'm feeling like a fraud because I've got this weird moment where people are looking at me like I'm supposed to have the answer. Right. And I'm trying to be confident and I'm trying to say it and, and, and stick the answer. But inside, I am being betrayed all the time by this little voice. Is that yeah. ever happened? I, yeah. It, you know, with new material, definitely. Like when I get up to speak about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I've done some weirdly, and, and I say weirdly because this does resonate in this space, um, discussions about diver, um, diversity in supply chain. Right. Um, and, I, and I'm not a supply chain person like you you would not want me <laughs> to manage oversee or speak into your supply chain uh, right but on the topic of how do we bring more diversity into our supply chain locally well there's some angles there that i feel i could speak to so when i was in portland um a couple of weeks ago speaking to the city of portland on this topic not the entire city just a room of about 20 or 30 people i just sort of admitted it you know, I, I got up there and I said, well, here's what I know, but here's what I do not know about. So you're going to have to do some work to connect the dots between these values or principles and how they're applied. But that's quite different than your, because yes. you're perceived in the province as a leading thinker, yeah. um, if not voice based on your past experience on this topic. So I, it's a little bit different and. It's how did you resolve it? How did you get rid of Jake the heckler at the back well, of the room? I think I just try to tune it out, but it's, it's like it, it's always there, right? It's like self-doubt. Right. And I right. don't, and I don't know that other people are thinking that. I, and you're right. It is a little bit different because in this space and in this work, you know, I do know what I'm talking about. Right. Of course you do. And yeah. so other people think that, and then I start to feel like an imposter. Right. Okay. So there's this that, weird, there's this weird shift for me that I'm like talking to myself saying, no, you actually do steady up. You know this. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, it's a bit different, but still the it fraud is, feeling. It's still that imposter syndrome thing, which is, um, which you've mentioned to me before, but it, it is an interesting concept because as, as people who listen to this podcast on a regular basis know, I often mention the almost 180 biases that human beings use in their quick thinking or fast thinking 
process, which is about 95% of your decisions a day based on the best research we have in neuroscience, we're all using shortcuts Mm -hmm. to make sense of the world because there's four problems. There's too much information. We don't know what information we should pay attention to. We can't remember all the information. And finally, we need to act fast. So those are the four things that on an evolutionary basis are why human beings have resorted to shortcuts. And then those have passed on generationally. So now all human beings have these very similar biases that look different based on your social constructs and your culture and where you're born and when you're born, for example. But this one of imposter syndrome is a is a bias that all human beings have and it plays out differently and we notice it in different places. But it is interesting um, to consider how, you know, this sort of the difference, and I, I suppose this is where it makes sense to go, but the, sort of the difference between when I, in a dominant group, again, for listeners who can't see me, I'm 53, white, uh, and very good looking, and... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't. We, we can we can edit that can out we, because we that laugh in? got Come there on, real let's quick. Leave that in. And that's let's not. Leave that in. I, I oh. was laughing about something else. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and here's a clean edit. Um, so uh, it plays out in my life a little bit differently. I would think than it might play out in your life. So does. Do those two things collide in your, in your, because everybody deals with imposter syndrome. Everybody's in a situation where you're speaking at the edge of your knowledge. People are listening. You're kind of like, do I know what I'm talking about? I do know what I'm talking about. You have the self-doubt. It's this little bias in our head. We all have it. But if you were in a room speaking to a bunch of white individuals, maybe that's not a factor. Maybe, maybe it doesn't play differently. Um, and if it did, maybe you wouldn't know because you're just you and I'm me and I, we can't live each other's experience. Well, I, 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 I think it, it probably, it probably does play out. I think there's one, uh, part that you said about, uh, imposter syndrome and, you know, I think we can put in the show notes, there's sort of lots of, uh, debate and pushback around pathologizing this as an individual problem, right? So that, you might have to unpack. So, what does that mean? So, Apologizing uh, this is an individual. So, so that that we call it a syndrome. That it's something wrong. It's something that can be fixed. It's something that you have to attend to. That it's a deficiency or uh, an issue for you as a person. And so, when we start, when they started to think about uh, in, imposter experiences mid seventies or so, by comparing high performing, usually female identified folks against male counterparts. So these were uh, academics, uh, athletes, uh, people who had achieved at a high level, uh, had accomplished all the same things that their male identified counterparts had had accomplished and started asking folks, "So, so how do you feel about those accomplishments? Do you feel like you've done enough? There were, there was an overwhelming sense of insecurity, uh, depression, self-doubt right so some of these things right um and so in in thinking about well how do you fix that that's a you problem when actually the study itself betrays some of this the structural problems if you're comparing women to men they have you know evolved that that study to say oh i guess we all feel that way not just women right yeah which is why it's considered a universally shared bias but I wonder if that lets us off the hook too easily by saying, oh, so we all experience it then. What if there is something to be paying attention to the systems and structures around us that contribute to it? And so 
if the experiences of historically marginalized people, particularly in workforces, it's not enough to just say to the black colleague, oh, you, you got to get over that. You just got to get a little bit more oh, confidence. Oh, yeah, I see. Right? Yes, so, yes. Of so course. is it, is it a, when you pathologize it, is it a me mm -hmm. issue to get over? Mm -hmm. Or is it an us thing to solve together? Would you, could you see it as based on what you've read? And I haven't, just for everybody listening, I haven't read those, uh, that research. So I'm going to so we'll do put that in the show notes. notes in the show notes. Yeah. Yep. Um, based on what you have read, would you say this is a similar, okay. So it's a, it, it's a universal human experience because we share a common ancestor, whether you're mm -hmm. Mm -hmm visibly marginalized it, these are all constructs that we've created as a species they, they're not natural in, right. in a sense they're only natural in that we've institutionalized these biases and preferences as part of the evolutionary track of surviving as a species and those those parts interestingly there's sort of a neural systemizing of a bias uh, across people groups but you're right even though we all have it it affects different groups differently. So there's sort of an angle of, uh, yes, it's a shared, it's a shared human experience, but like other shared human experiences, it plays out quite differently that's, in that's it, historically exactly. marginalized communities, right? So while I might deal with it occasionally on a topic or a new conversation, I don't deal with it in terms of me standing here as a person. Right. Right. I, I, I think I did when I began to work in this field and nobody knew who I was or where I came from or what my, were my mm -hmm. credentials. I think there, right. that's about yeah. as close as I can get for a short period of time. And then that goes away, but you can't change the color of your skin. So you've got that added dimension of, okay, this person's from outside of our visible group, because again, that's based on a whole bunch of biases standing, talking to us about this, but you bring in there's sort of an extra level of imposter syndrome that comes with just being in the group that you're in. Well, people are looking and then they say, well, do you really, you know, maybe they feel like, you know, maybe the other part is everyone feels like you should know. Uh, oh yeah. And That's, in your yes. head, you're saying mm -hmm. you should know. <laughs> I could look at all the, the indicators is that they are seeing and we should see the same thing, but how come I'm not there? How come right. I'm still being betrayed by the voice in my head? Right. Right. So it, it's an interesting um, challenge, I think, for us to be paying attention to sometimes presentations of the people around us. It's not that we have to diagnose them as, well, maybe you're having an imposter experience, but, but maybe it's hard. Maybe there are things happening that you just don't understand, never will understand. And we have to constantly make find ways, I think, to make people um, comfortable in their processing. Yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you just said. I think that's a, that analysis is correct. And the, the word that came to my mind, enabling me to think about it differently. And I want to get also to the negative side of imposter syndrome, yeah. especially with historically marginalized groups and how that can be leveraged easily and yeah. maybe even unwittingly in a moment by okay. the dominant group. Okay. So we'll come back to that in a second, but it seems to me that the word here that could be used as, well, we need to just accommodate. What, what was the word? Mm. What was the word that was used um, negatively? It wasn't meant to be negative, but uh, preferential treatment for historically marginalized groups. What was that called? That was called- um, Like the affirmative- Affirmative, uh, affirmative action. action. Yeah. Right. 
So affirmative action took on this negative connotation of we need to give weak people an excuse. They can't make it on their own, right? That if they could have, they'd be running this country. I mean, that's the extreme MAGA yeah. perspective in this right. country and in Canada, because there's a lot of MAGAs in Canada. But the word isn't accommodate, facilitate, make exceptions for, give a step up, yada, yada. The, to me, the word that came to my mind when you're sharing your explanation was just one of grace. Just having yeah. enough grace in the moment to think this person is presenting. I wonder, I wonder if this is taking place. I'm not going to say it is. I'm not going to say that they're struggling with it or whatever. But I am gracious enough to lend some of my white privilege in the moment to affirm the person and not to think it of it as affirmative action, but just to think of it as being a gracious human being to another person from an informed perspective of this may be happening. I don't know what it is. It doesn't even need to be for me to take this action and just be positive about the presentation. I don't, is that too simplistic? Does that no, whitewash no. it? Just I don't think it does at all. In fact, I think it tracks along a very human centered approach to supporting folks to seeing people as humans first role second yeah. expertise second um looking past titles uh which is isn't always easy because those are the things that we have been socialized to look for to, right. to hold up as expert but i you know i think it's um it's very close to how i would you know part of this training that i was doing is talking to to restorative justice practitioners about trauma at least in one part of the training and it is consistent with a trauma informed approach to say instead of asking god what's wrong with that person right when you're seeing this presentation it's not what's wrong it's what's happening what's happening for them right. and i wonder what right. they need right. i wonder how how i can help that's yeah it's hard to do in a presentation because you're kind of don't you feel you're like i'm giving you my time i'm sitting yeah. here listening so you better step up i because i'm not how does that the audience's well, expectations fit in. I think I think it's a little bit different in as we're talking about an imposter experience because that's it's almost invisible. There there aren't very many presentations uh, in that moment, oh. right? Yeah. So it's invisible, yeah. but it yeah. might come across as a sustained experience for that person, looking like depression. Are they going to stop coming to work? Are they going to stop showing up? So you come oh, in so with, after that after right? So you're you're coming in with less confidence. The person that you thought mm. was just, man, you're going to kill it. You're going to get up mm. there and, and we hype people up mm. and we tell them they're going to be great. And then they feel like they can't live up to the expectation. So mm. now there's this pressure. Did I let everyone down? Mm -hmm. Did they think it was as bad as it was. Even when people come up and say, hey, that was great. You're like, are you just being nice? So it, 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 it is hard to get out of your head. It is. Yeah. I, right. And so I wonder, yeah. this is why it's easy to put it on the person and say, Oh yeah. Just say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. Right. It's a yeah. syndrome. Yeah. It's, it's something you need to deal with. I'm going to diagnose you as the thing that you're struggling with. And when you get that under control, you'll be back. Okay. So how, how would, uh, so some, uh, folks on our team are, are people of historically marginalized groups. Mm -hmm. And they, we ask people to give presentations all the time, just so yeah. that they are competent and they can speak to clients and they can. And I've thought about the shared experience of imposter syndrome and how we all struggle with it. And some folks on our team have it really bad. They get very nervous. Public speaking is not their thing. doesn't matter how well they do at the end of it. They're always going to think, oh, just because they're not 
confident in their own abilities. They don't have as much experience. It's the first time that kind of thing. How do I, uh, and I have to say, Jake, on our, in these conversations, I find I'm asking you questions like you're black. So, you know, that's not why just for the audience, just so you know, Jake does a lot of thinking about this. And since he's jumped <laughs> into this on a deep level, I'm, I'm literally asking these questions cause I want to learn. And, uh, the fact that you're black is almost uh, like a well we have a relationship right so that's the mm -hmm. the the, yeah. the, the okay. container for these conversations is is held in our our relationship and care for each other wanting to see each other do well and, and learn yeah. and grow and i think that that community piece is it it does transcend uh doesn't erase but it transcends some of those fears that would be just the black colleague down the hall Hey, listen. Right. Okay. Yeah, so let me pop in. I got a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't, yeah, okay. don't do that. Good. So, given what you know from your research on this topic, how do I address the white colleague who is terrified and wants to throw up after it's over every time, and the black colleague who seems fine? I know we all deal with imposter syndrome. I know she doesn't present all the time. I know these are the things that are happening. So when he's there doing this, what do I, mm -hmm. how do I approach it? The same way as I would the other person just say, hey, listen, that was great. Is, is there a difference in approach? Or is it the same and I just need to be open and, and think about the word grace and what I would want in this moment? Well, I mean, I think there's a practical piece too, particularly on your team. I, I certainly don't love following you in a presentation. So if, <laughs> I mean, you're a dynamic speaker, you do really, you do really great things. People love you. Like you're, you're a closer. Uh, I'm an opener. And so, I do think that people would uh, naturally be intimidated in, in a space where they had to present, where they were really, really capable folks. I think there's, there are some, uh, ways to address it uh, preemptively is to ask people, what will you need to make sure this goes well? What do you think you're going to need? Is it, could it be a, a change in the order? Uh, is it different types of feedback? How will you, asking folks, how will you be evaluating yourself? Like, uh, you don't have to share that, but have you been thinking about uh, some practical ways that you're going to evaluate how, how this is done? Um, because otherwise they're going to go to the hardwired ways. I'm not good enough. Right, so right. We can, we can default. give default yeah. track. So yeah. really prompting, I think, is um, w what I started doing with, with folks is to give them different ways to look at their, their work and by asking them to come up with those. Because I okay. know that the, 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 the um, self-doubt is going to be heavy in particular groups. Okay. So here are two things that I have done for anyone. I've never thought about it being uh, imposter syndrome as being a constant and amplified issue for historically marginalized groups, but it, it makes be, yeah. complete sense. And we're not saying that every nope. black leader deals with this. Some are like, like I'm sure president Obama deals probably, with it. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably but not it. like we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'll walk into a room and I'll just say what I say and everybody will think I'm great. Like, I mean, he just, he's sort of, yeah. He's okay. super cool. Super cool. And even if he's not, he's really yeah. good at letting yeah. us see that. So there are two things that I have <laughs> yeah, right. shared before with individuals that I think are helpful that maybe are examples of what you said, like uh, in terms of the, um, the pre 
conversation to just give people a sense of confidence in that you deserve to be able to, we want you to speak. You deserve the space on the platform. And yeah. I don't know what it's going to go like, but here are two things that you can do to kind of combat. You're going to struggle with this. I do uh, about two hours after a presentation. It doesn't matter how well it went. I want to throw up. Right. Because I remember the two or three things that I did that were really stupid. I mispronounced these words. I used this wrong word. And the yeah. dates that I referenced here, completely wrong. So if anybody with any level of insight is in that audience, they're rolling their eyes thinking, what an idiot. Okay. So Say the... more about this. This is exactly right. it. Yep. Right. So here are the two things that I tell people over the past while that have been helpful, I think, for me and maybe for them. Number one, what do you want your audience to think? What do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to do? 20% of think, feel, do will come in the first two minutes of your opening and the 80, no, sorry, 98% of it is not in the rest of the conversation. It's yeah. in the last five minutes. People will remember how you started and they will remember how you finish. And those memories are mostly emotions and only 10% of the content. So when you think about think, feel, and do front load, and then have a heavy, heavy ending, like just boom, 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 quick stop, leave people with the strong emotion, whatever you want it to be. Okay. That's the first thing you want to think, feel, and do it. And it should be a simple sentence each time. The second thing, and I know you do a version of that. So for everybody right, listening, right. believe me, that Jacob practices this all the time. So this is not for him. The second thing, although, you know, it's a good, good reminder for me too. Oh, let's edit this out. Okay. We're doing, I'm saying a lot of that. Connor, just leave all these Connor, in. So people leave can them see. all in. Yeah. 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 So people can say, oh, they're actually working through imposter syndrome on the podcast that they're talking about imposter syndrome. Yeah. This is so meta. Every, not everyone has an editor. So this might be <laughs> yeah, the easiest right. show for Connor yeah. just to sit back yeah, and go, that's right. I'm not touching Oh, I'm anything. just going to let this whole thing happen. Yeah. This car accident just play out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's number two. This Number two. Finally, number two. Adam Grant is a phenomenal researcher yeah. and author. He's got a podcast where he has great people like Malcolm Gladwell and Esther Perel on it. And it's called We Work or Work or Work Life or something like work that. Life. And work Life? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Adam, just so you know, Jacob got the title right. I missed it. So you don't have to return my calls anymore. Okay. So Adam does these <laughs> this podcast. It's really phenomenal. He's written some books. One of his early books, Give, uh, Givers, Takers, Givers, Give and Take? No, it's Give and Take. Oh my gosh. He's never yeah. going to talk to me again. Give and Take. And when he wrote that book, it, it came out in 2012, and he uh, tells a story in it. I think it's in this, or it's in one of his presentations he did around the time, because we were having him come and speak at a couple of things that we were doing. He tells a story. Anyway, so he's at some area. So I'm getting a, a lot of the features right. So please know that what I'm communicating is the, the essence. basic direction, the essence of it. But the, 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 the little facts may be wrong. Oh, okay, I'm such an imposter. Here we go. He said he went to like an area like 51, Air 50, some Fort Bragg or something like that. And they bring all the colonels together and they give them this education uh, development opportunity. And he comes in from Wharton University. He's been awarded so many uh, citations on uh, amazing leaders under 20, 30. I think he was even featured as a prominent leader ten year, under 10 years old or something. Like the guy has been on this track of brilliance for some time. And so he, they brought him in, the U.S. Army brought him in. Or military, some branch of military is talking to these colonels and he gets up and he credentials, which you've got to do. They don't know. They're not connected on LinkedIn. You don't find too many colonels on LinkedIn. They don't, they might've read his bio. Maybe not. They just showed up. 
like I do at a conference. I don't know who this guy is. I'll find out who he is if what he says is interesting. So he credentials at the front and then he goes into his content and then they do an immediate survey. And this, he's back in his hotel room and he's, you know, crying on his, in his little pillow as he's reading the surveys because it's a grown man. And uh, I'm sure he wasn't crying. I hope he doesn't hear this. And uh, he was upset, though, because the surveys were like, each year they get younger and younger. Where do these whippersnappers come from? They think they know everything. I'd love for them to live one day of my life before telling me how I should think or what I should do. Just this kind mm -hmm. of very, you know, adversarial. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day he says, okay, so I'm, I'm going to do this differently. So the next group, the next day, the very next day, he gets up. He says, listen, I just want to acknowledge one thing before we start. The lived experience in this room is so far beyond me. It would take like a hundred lifetimes for me to catch up. Your insights and your competencies, you are experts in the field. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the rank and the command that you do. All I'm here to do is to give you a little bit of information that you can use as you see fit. It may not even be necessary for your leadership style. Now, having said that, let me tell you a little bit about who I am. He credentialed, did the talk, and at the end, best session I've ever been to where they should find more people like Adam Grant. I hope he comes back. This was really insightful. The content was exactly the same. All he did was he took advantage of, of another bias. And this is what I tell mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. that, you know, what do you want people to think, feel, and do? And then the other bias that you can take advantage of is something called pratfall effect. You can look it up on Wikipedia. We'll put it in the show notes too. Pratfall effect basically is the idea that if you share vulnerability with your audience, you can be set up for a good response, but there are four versions of this. One, I stand up and I tell you, I don't know what, I, I don't have all the necessary information and credentials or whatnot. You know, you throw something out there, like I may not be the right guy for this or the right mm -hmm. woman for this. And then you don't know your stuff. People get angry, mm -hmm. right? They're like, uh, why are you here then? Like, it's like, you're wasting I, my time. Right. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's shame. The first one is shame. Mm. They said they didn't know what they're doing. Now they're stumbling through and you're just uncomfortable. You feel shame. The next one is I credential. I know what I'm talking about. Your content is terrible. That is anger. That's adversarial. And you're, you, the content could be good, but because it's, there's no, like it's you credentialed up on people who feel like they might have more credentials as sort of adversarial. The third one is I don't have the right credentials, but I have some good content. That's not bad, but people tend to not remember very much because they think they can't ascertain the validity of the content because you haven't credentialed correctly, right? Mm -hmm. So why, I'm sorry, why is a school teacher talking about astrophysics? She teaches elementary, right? Like, I don't know. Okay, the third one, this is the Pratfall effect. You credential, but you, you share a vulnerability and then your content is solid. That's the winning effect and pratfall effect just is when you share vulnerability but you have competency mm -hmm. your your audience will respond much better so those are the two things that i've shared that help combat this one bias against another well i yeah exactly i was going to say that it's one bias against the other and what what i think it does is it it actually humanizes you because that's yeah. probably the experience yeah. of the listener the yeah. listener's feeling a, a very similar posture i know something yeah. i don't know everything yep um and so there isn't this how to figure out the person who's talking to me because you're trying to read them and you can really, they've just told you right up front that we're going to jump mm -hmm. into this together. There's mm -hmm. almost a co-learning space that you're, you're developing. Even if 95% mm -hmm. of the talking and the content is coming from the front of this, the room or the space mm -hmm. or the screen, mm -hmm. I feel drawn in as a participant in a slightly different way. 
because you're setting up a learning scaffold for me to mm-hmm. apply my my own experiences against to interpret it uh to take it away i i love i love everything that you just you said that that would work i think i think it would too it, and that's for the speaker the speaker to hold yeah. in their mind what they want to think feel and do the speaker must then uh trigger the pratfall effect by sharing some humanizing vulnerability and i and I, to me i share two things one i have tourette syndrome it either comes up or it doesn't. If it's not active, I don't share it. Um, but I always share that I'm Canadian and I mispronounce words when I'm in the United States. And that that works too. People are like, oh, he's Canadian. Okay, we'll give him a break. And that's my <laughs> pratfall effect. Yeah, I, 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 guess the, I guess the one I use is um, a bit self-deprecating, but it's, it, it's fine because it's true. We'll get to a place and I'm like, and if none of this lands, just yeah. remember, you heard all of this from a security guard. What did you think? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to take that's away. a good one. That's you. I've seen you do that one. Yeah. And the and entire like, room oh. was like leaned in. They were like, Oh, this guy's interesting. And it, there was yeah. no adversarial posturing going on. It's just like, can we have a conversation? Like, I'm going to be real with you. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah. So I think we've talked a lot about some really cool things. None of it helps me solve my, uh, my coffee problem where I'm probably going next and going to be named Zach. <laughs> well, one of the interesting parts of the conversation, and I think it's kind of, uh, as we're kind of coming to a close here, I, I wanted to, you had mentioned wanting to talk about this. I hadn't done any reading. You've done the research, but I did bring it up with some folks that I was driving around in the car with over the past couple of days. And they said, well, it's interesting, you know, the white leaders could do one of two things. They could pull the lever, understanding that we all share this imposter syndrome and understanding that for certain groups of individuals, it may be more prevalent. You don't know. And this could be leveraged against them. Like you're saying, like, it's on you. You have to work harder. This is your problem. Okay, so there's that. It, It could be used against people or at least definitely thoughtlessly said and definitely feel like it's being used against you. And then the second one is I can also and I and I have been trying to do this, use my privilege to leverage up others. So I will right. just expound on how amazing this person is and I learn from them and blah, 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 and you lend that credentialing to another person. They don't have to do it themselves. And so I I think that can also in terms of a role that I can play. It's either I can be thoughtless or I can actually use it against people to hurt them in right. in a more profound way than it can be used against me, I must say. Or secondly, yep. I can help by taking away part of the conditions that create the imposter syndrome, which is where I have to tell you why you should listen to me. The problem then would be, why is the white guy only introducing the black speakers and mm-hmm. not, you know what I mean? Like you're going to have to understand that dynamic, di- optics. That dynamic yeah, wait, as well. you're, you're, you're solving for something and creating a different problem. But yeah, the, exactly. But, but, exactly. So it's, it, I think it's worth, it's worth thinking about it. It's, it's not the cookie cutter approach. But certainly there are enough principles there that people should be taking away and saying, well, what does that mean for me in my space, yep. in the space yep. that I occupy or lead or whatever? Well, this was an interesting conversation. I actually, I, I've thought about the imposter syndrome before because I, you know, as all human beings, I've dealt with it. Um, but I've never considered the implications for other groups of people or <laughs> my role in maybe helping or hurting. And so yeah. this has been uh this has been great insight for me. 
No, it's been, been a lot of fun and I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jake. See you next time. See you next time. This has been a Podstarter production. production.